Listeners, start your engines. Andy Barkley, who? Franchise Detours, Episode 6, Rob here. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. On this episode, Pablo Saldana joins us to talk about 1998's Bride of Chucky. This is the entry into the Child's Play slash Chucky franchise, where Jennifer Tilly makes her entrance as Tiffany Valentine and becomes probably the most iconic horror duo, I guess. Sort of the uh, uh, slasher film Bonnie and Clyde, if you will. But does director Ronnie Yu's fourth Child's Play movie make a smooth transition or a wrong turn in abandoning its original protagonist and shifting gears completely towards Chucky and his blushing bride? Let's get going and find out. Welcome again to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. Today, we're talking about the fourth entry in the Child's Play slash Chucky franchise, Bride of Chucky from 1998, directed by Ronnie Yu. And I am honored to welcome to the show Pablo Saldana. Welcome to Franchise Detours. Well, thank you for having me. I'm uh, very excited to talk about Bride of Chucky and uh, Child's Play in general. <laughs> Quintessential so, 84. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So tell people a little bit about, about who you are. I know you and I met at the University of South Florida, a yeah. student newspaper covering pop culture and movies. So I've, I've, I've been doing this, I guess I've been doing some version of this a long time, but go ahead and tell people a little about you. Yeah. So like you said, we met at the University of South Florida. We were both uh, working for the school paper there. Just enjoyed writing about movies. And I think we've kept loose connection through like social media and like touch base here and there and like listen to some of your podcast. And I really enjoy it. I'm a consumer of pop culture. I love movies and music and it's a great thing to be able to share and talk opinions with people that know also the, the material and that you can actually engage with and have a meaningful conversation, even about something like Bride of Chucky. Yeah, that's that's the thing, too. I posted uh, I, an Instagram that I was doing this franchise and the the initial mega series of this show just because I I like I couldn't imagine a wilder franchise to sort of start <laughs> off with and on on my previous show the Crooked Table podcast monthly episodes on franchises so we did uh, Star Wars we did Harry Potter and I was like I got to get out of like the fantasy sci-fi realm and what better than to stretch into horror and what horror franchises has a crazier trajectory than child's play. And it, I mean, this is the I one you immediately it. were, you immediately, like you said, I'd be, I wish I could do one. I'd like, I was like, let's make it happen. And you said bride yeah. of Chucky. So what is your experience, I guess, with this movie and then more broadly with this franchise? So with this movie in particular, it was a complete reinvention of the character. Like, Honestly, you have a doll that's possessed by the spirit of the serial killer. So there's inherently going to be some humor. Bride of Chucky went the complete opposite direction of not really 
trying to be a horror movie. It had this death and it had this scary moment, but more so it fell into that vein of like the late 90s, early aughts. Let's have comedy infused with horror. Let's have like Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer and Urban Legends. Let's have like really pop culture references going on. And it was something that carried on that movie and it just was a breath of fresh air after watching him chase down one kid for three movies. Yeah. So it was just, it was just different. And then the addition of like Jennifer Tilly as Tiffany just reinvigorated the franchise. It gave us something new to look at. It was completely different than what you were expecting going into a child's play movie. Had you seen, like, were you familiar with the, the previous three oh, when yeah. you saw this? Did you see this when it came out initially? I saw this when it came out initially. The previous three were things that I had caught on TV or through DVD or VHS in some cases. And it was always an interestingly fun movie. It's I grew up and I had a My Buddy doll, which is what the good guy dolls are based on. <laughs> so I, I would see that and I would think of Chucky. And it became something so ingrained. I, I don't know if there's a more um, sporadic, weirdly done horror franchise with the exception of probably leprechaun right yeah and it, chucky doesn't officially go to the hood let alone back no. to the hood so that that's true this was so directly influenced by the the slasher rebirth in the 90s with the scream movies specifically the pride of chucky poster is a parody of the scream 2 yes. poster which came out the previous year so you have that connection and it's wild that they took this chance because it's not only a shift in tone, it's a shift in perspective. The, the first yeah. three, you're with Andy the whole time. And mm -hmm. the, this one is the first film where the protagonist is Chucky, essentially. Maybe I could probably make an argument for being Tiffany, but it's the dolls. You're, you're, you're on the yeah, side of the dolls. the dolls. Like, yeah. Catherine Heigl, we, 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 we love you from Grey's Anatomy but, and Knocked Out, but this was definitely about Chucky and Tiffany and R.I.P. John Ritter. But right. definitely the focus was those two dolls and their love story or lack of it at the end of it. They carried you through it. Like you were rooting for them in a weird way. And I think a lot of it has to do with having an outsider like Ronnie Yu involved in it who didn't really, like he has stated multiple times, he wasn't really a big horror franchise person. And yet he reinvigorated Chucky and also later on took on Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, that's a, he, this was his first second, this was his second like major mainstream movie, Hollywood movie. And, and, in, and it was his first major horror movie. So it's an interesting transition for him to make this his first one. And I wonder if that's part of why it feels like a new franchise in a way. Like that's the thing with the child's play movies is the first three are like the Andy story yeah. him keep encountering chucky the last two are really focused on fiona Dorov's character and uh, the dynamic with, with her and and, yeah. and her interactions with chucky these two are really the chucky and tiffany story which pretty much yeah and yeah i think it's it's one of those things when you look at this franchise it's like you said the the subsequent final two films of the franchise are something that follows goes back to the original pattern but it is a different character and you still have the original characters that come into that and i almost think that uh, was done just because some people didn't like the humor like they love bride of chucky and then it went further into humor with the subsequent film and it's right. like 
it, he became a Freddy Krueger where at some point, like, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is hilarious and it's scary and it's funny, but by the time you get to Nightmare 5, it's like he's not scary in any capacity. Right, he's cracking one-liners constantly mm-hmm. and that's his thing. Yeah, and, and I think for a lot of people, Seed of Chucky was the the breaking point. It's just they couldn't, they 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 started something with Bride of Chucky and people were like, okay, I, I see what you're trying to do. We'll let that one slide. But even then, it wasn't a huge box office. Like, it didn't blow up the box office or anything. It no. 32 domestic and 50, 50 worldwide, worldwide. budget of 25. So it's like, it did... Okay. It did okay yeah. for what it was. And also take into account the Child Plays franchise has never really been one that's, it's not a scream. It's not uh, one of these major box office ones. So I think that's also part of what gave it the liberty to do that. Like you can go and reimagine this character and you can put different settings because you're not as much they're worried about. It's not one of their tent poles. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think, the, you can tell that they really took such a huge chance on on this one. And going even further with this, to, to, with my experience seeing this the first time, I saw this, I was it on, I wonder if, I'm trying to remember if it was VHS or DVD, but I saw it randomly either on cable or something like a year, few years after it came out. And I don't, it didn't really click with me. It wasn't until more recently when I gave it the whole series a reappraisal because some horror fans that I really respect that I follow on film Twitter, et cetera, really, really admire this movie. This is, it's it's become, it's developed a, a cult following as I would say maybe one of the more popular in the franchise. Yeah, no, I would completely agree. I think it's one of those that is looked back on. It holds up. It really doesn't, especially coming off of two and three, which just were recreations of part one and just putting Andy in a different setting, whether it was military school or anything else like that, where this was completely a different direction. And uh, the performances just hold up. Like Brad Dwarf as the voice of Chucky, he did a great job. You had Jennifer Tilly just killing it as Tiffany. And it, it, it just really holds up. It, it, to me, this film is a great balance of humor and horror, granted it's a little heavier on the humor side, but it it just, as a film, it flows well compared to like Seed of Chucky. Yeah, absolutely. Revisiting it more recently, I really came to appreciate not only how it, it changes the franchise, but what I really struck me about Bride of Chucky is that this feels like the one that, it feels it feels like Chucky's induction into the horror hall of fame in a way. No, I could I could definitely see that. I I think he's relishing it more and it really there's even nods to horror icons exactly. in the film from the exactly. beginning. You have the all the Michael Myers mask, you have Freddie's glove, and then when he kills John Ritter's character, he looks like Pinhead. And he's even like, Oh, where have I seen this before? Where have I seen that before? So it, it definitely tongue in cheek and like places him on that pantheon with these more con- at that time, the contemporary boogeyman of our of the film world. And I think without this movie, I don't I really honestly don't think he would have gotten there. I think the if you had just the first three child's play movies and then that was all we saw from this character, I feel like it would be like, you know the Critters movies or something where people are like, oh yeah, I remember those, but not really. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio was like on the third or fourth one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what people know them from. 
That's exactly. what people remember them for. And I think well, you had to bring it into another decade too. Yes. Chucky started out in the eighties, and at the same time, it was a decade that was so ripe for horror movie icons. Like you had so many just springing up, whether it be uh, Jason early in the decade, Freddy, Hellraiser with Pinhead, just slew of people coming into this franchise that became iconic. So I feel like you needed this movie to bring him into the new decade, introduce him to a new audience and reinvent him in a way that made him relevant at the time. I don't think it would have worked if you released a, a Bride of Chucky and it was done in the same style as the first three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They needed to reinvigorate him, expand the mythology. And and that that's like a, just a a mic drop, the opening where they're just like, here's, oh, yeah. you know, Michael Myers mask and then the, the chainsaw with Leatherface and all this stuff. And it's like, and now ladies and gentlemen, Chucky, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent that not only with the, the modern horror icons, but then the entire thing is a riff on Bride of Frankenstein. Exactly. So you have that That's what I was going to say. You have yeah, your tie into the very classic Frankenstein and his bride. And you have that love story mirror where it was going, where even at the end of the movie, Tiffany realizes we belong dead, which is the line directly from the movie. Oh! Why? Oh, Chucky, look at us. Don't you see? We belong dead. Goodbye, darling. I'll see you in hell. I think... The screenwriters, the directors, everyone involved in that film did a really good job at tying it in to contemporary and also classic horror. Yeah. At the same, yeah, it was just, it was well done. It was well put together. It holds up, which is more than you can say for a lot of 90s horror movies like Valentine or something like that. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people who aren't super familiar with the franchise don't even realize that Don Mancini has written all of them Mm-hmm. And and directed the last, the most recent three. So I think there's clearly stuff that he wants to get to in this franchise that he retrofits Chucky as a as a vehicle for. Because the way that <laughs> the way that the third one ends is probably as definitive an ending as Chucky has gotten yeah. thus far. Literally like shredded into pieces. Exactly. And it's like, okay, how do we get him back from that? How do we make He's it work? all together. Yeah, exactly. And, and you get those pieces and you start stitching. Oh, it's so it's so <laughs> cool. It's so good. The 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 opening of this thing is already of sort of it, it's it's laying the the self-awareness right on the line too. Mm-hmm. You have her her slipping in there. You obviously get the introduction of Jennifer Tilly as as Tiffany who will get we'll get to her whole thing in a second. But but you get the self-awareness where she kills the cop. And, and she, she, you know, and she then picks files up, her nails with it. <laughs> her nails with the, she like tastes the, the blood, I think on her, on her nail. Yeah. Box. She's, yeah, she's just totally in control. It's, it's awesome. She picks up the doll and she's like, you get the like, hello, Dolly, like mm. play on, on words. You get a lot, a little puns right out, right out the gate. And we get our, as you mentioned, the introduction of stitched up Chucky that they, they ride that to till all the, for all future movies, essentially. Yeah, and I think those looks and those dolls became part of the franchise. Like, I when they 
when I had first seen about Curse of Chucky and I had first read about where it was going, I didn't imagine that there would be a space for Tiffany. I thought that was in the past just because of the comedy element. It seemed like they were going to take it back to being a horror film. I'm really glad that that character that came out of Bride of Chucky has really become intertwined in the franchise itself. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And I think not only just the character of Tiffany the, in human and doll form, but Jennifer Tilly herself has become such a yeah. such a fundamental part of this franchise. We find out in this one, obviously, that Chucky had a girlfriend that was Bonnie to his Clyde, essentially. Exactly. So we get a, a little bit of, not retcon, but expansion of like, oh, then you didn't know he had this girlfriend the whole time that was just not mentioned in the previous movies. Hi. How you been? Okay. You? Peachy. Actually, to tell you the truth, I've been kind of out of it. I know. It took me ten years to find you. That is sick. What are you doing with this way? Ten years is a long time, Chucky. Besides, I was never actually with him. You know me. I'll kill anybody, but I'll only sleep with someone I love. So you bring her in. So again, making Chucky the 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 POV of of the audience, getting like insight into this twisted relationship, and exactly. just Tilly T- Tilly's energy in this thing is so much fun. She a hundred percent knows exactly what movie she's in, and I think she's she's easily my my MVP of this. The only thing is that I I, I really like human Tiffany, and it's a, it's a shame we lose her like thirty minutes in. Agreed. I just but she just commits. Like she read that script, and she was just like, okay, I know what they want from me, and she gives us equal parts vulnerability, trashy, sadistic, like. I, she just gives me this whole gamut of emotions that she goes through. Even when she gets in doll form, like that at latter half of the movie, well, the latter half, the climax of the movie where she starts realizing like they don't need to be there. They don't, this is wrong. What they're doing is not something they should be doing. And she stands up and fights against Chucky. Like it's just this great arc that they gave her in that film. And to be able to convey that in her delivery through a plastic doll it's great. Like, I, I think she did a phenomenal job in that film. Yeah, I, I think it's really encapsulated in one line that she has where she says, I'll kill anyone, but I'll only sleep with someone I love. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so it's that like you wouldn't think that Tiffany, she, I mean, you wouldn't think that she would be a character that would have layers, but she certainly didn't need to. Like they should have just made her. Oh, she's just female Chucky. But they they created someone that is. It's a lot more complex than Chucky is. If Chucky is just Chucky, as, as much fun as he is, he's doesn't have those, he doesn't have very many different death, sides. No. <laughs> he is what he is, and that's that's his deal. He likes to kill people and he's constantly trying to get out of this body. And that's up to this point, that's his his MO. But, but that's t- what made the movie. It's giving Tiffany and making her a human psychopath. Like she she definitely has her moment where you, you don't like her, but <laughs> at the same time, she had these very human moments where you're just like, oh, I feel for her. And I think that what gives the movie so much heart and is something that a lot of people that are friends of this franchise really connect to is that love story 
does feel, albeit we're in a world where dolls are killing people, real in that context. Yeah, yeah. And because we're in the world where the dolls are killing people and we're, we're, we, it's important that we understand where at least one of the dolls is coming from. And that's why exactly. I think you need human Tiffany to bridge us into that because the first three are set in the real world. And oh my gosh, this doll just happens to have the soul of a serial killer in it. <laughs> but then this one, we're like, oh no, the dolls are running stuff. It's everything, there's chaos, cats and dogs living together, et cetera. It's, it's creates, it's, it's a, a whole new world. It's like, it's Chucky's world and we're living in it is the, the vibe of this thing. I would agree. Just listening to you say that just clicks. I was just like, this is its own. And because it feels hyper surreal, like all the moments, like when the the gay best friend gets hit by the semi truck, like it it just moments that are just a bit out of reality, but yet acceptable. So it doesn't go far. Or when they kill the honeymooning couple, throwing the bottle into the glass of the mirror roof of the honeymoon suite. Like, it's definitely a little hyper real, but it works. It works for that film. It hundred percent does. And I just, I think part of my other, my thing is also just being a fan of, of puppets and growing up with like the Muppets and then having this be like, I don't know, probably the best dark, like fucked up puppet movie ever made. Unless, unless you talk <laughs> about like some of the Peter Jackson stuff, I haven't seen some of all, all of that, but, but entering that world and finding a way to make these characters like you, you care about Tiffany, you care about her, uh, <laughs> her feelings, her emotions and, and the way Chucky's mistreating her. But you're also scared of her because she's just as terrifying as he is <laughs> at varying points. But you get some insight into that relationship and you understand how it worked when they were both human. So in a way, even though this is her debut, her entry into the franchise, it feels like she's been there the whole time, which is, which is a magic trick that the movie pick, pulls off. No, I agree with you. She definitely feels like she's ingrained in it. There's never a minute while you're watching it where it feels out of place, especially for people that follow the franchise. Like, it feels natural. It feels natural how she syncs up her work with Chucky, her chemistry. It all lines up in a way that it doesn't take away from the film. It doesn't pull you out and be like, oh, what the heck is this character doing here? You never have those moments. You just accept Tiffany as part of this world, this lore of the killer doll with the serial killer soul. One thing I wanted to make sure we got to is what do you think this movie's biggest swing is and it's its boldest new direction, but I think it's Tiffany. I think that's, we've spent a lot of the last several minutes talking about Jennifer Tilly and I think it's- Without this, a doubt. She is this movie. She is the heart and soul of Bride of Chucky. She was the new blood that it needed at that time to just give the franchise a kick. And it did. It was, though the, the, the box office numbers aren't great, it is the highest grossing worldwide of the franchise. So that does say a lot. Granted, inflation probably changes that. Right. It, it did what it was supposed to do. And having Don Mancini steering the whole thing, I think you can feel that sense of continuity, even though Ronnie Yu is a new filmmaker to the mm-hmm. genre, bringing fresh eyes to it. You have that underlying hand guiding the story so that it feels like it's built on the foundation of what came before. You obviously still get the the dolls obviously have like, they abide by Toy Story rules where they don't move <laughs> when people are around unless they're really trying to make a point. And, and, and it's, it's it, it, all without having any, any real interaction with children. Like they basically completely abandon the whole 
I'm in the possession of a child and I need to hide my identity, like that whole thing. They, they, they abandon that conceit, which is the underlying premise of three movies and, and toss that out the window completely. And I think that's really ballsy of, of writer Chucky to do that. And I'm like, no, no, we're going to do like a Bonnie and Clyde road movie with these two dolls and this other couple and have them be the foils for their relationship. Yeah. And I feel like, as you were saying, with Don Mancini being at the helm of this, I can't really think of a horror franchise where there's been one person steering the ship in yeah. terms of being so involved in the character because he is, and he has been uh, from the get go. And, but you look at like there's Sean S Cunningham, but that's more of like a producer role with Friday 13th and he's right. not necessarily in control or writing the scripts or really dictating where the character goes. And that's a rarity. I don't know. I, uh, at least off the top of my head, I can't think of another film franchise and horror at least that has been helmed by one person and really guided by that person's writing and where they're taking the story. Certainly not to this, certainly not this long running of a franchise, I would say at least. Yeah. I think I'm trying to, I don't think Hellraiser even has that. I think maybe. Well, I mean like the Evil Dead, you have three of them there. That's Um, true. Scream probably comes close because it's the same writer mm -hmm. for, I think, one, two, and four, Kevin Williamson. Uh, But yeah, yeah. it's, It's for seven movies, having them all written by the same, the same man. And three of them, wait, yeah, three of them directed by him as well. Exactly. It's it, it's become like an auteur franchise out of out of nowhere, which is which is really cool. And and it uh, just goes to show you, someone's really really into their puppet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as you have your love for puppets, Don Mancini apparently had his love for killer puppets. <laughs> exactly. One of the other things I think that's really interesting about this movie is that there's some timeline shenanigans going on because. What's interesting is that the first one came out in 88. I think the second one came out like the following year or, or like within a couple of years. And the, the third one was the early 90s. But Andy has aged up like eight years as played yeah. by a different actor and everything. But this movie course corrects things where this takes place just a few months after Child's Play 3, even though it came out like a decade, years after. So it's like gets everything back on track that I guess Chucky was just sitting sliced up in that bag for for, uh, for a, know, few months, a few yeah. years yeah yeah for a few uh, months exactly i really there and there were also parts of it that if you look back like i don't remember in the first three uh any mention about an amulet that he needed to transfer the souls with so that part was for me felt brand new but at the same time i didn't really think about it that much until i got analytical with it Right. And I was like, do I remember this being mentioned in the film before? And I'm like, I, I, rewatching them, I, I did not recall any mention of that. But it was worked in the script in a way that didn't, it wasn't super obvious. And it wasn't like, oh, this is a ridiculous plot twist. Granted, you probably accept a lot when you're talking about talking killer dolls. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't think that was in, in the earlier movies. They need a MacGuffin, basically, for Tiffany okay. and Chucky to be going after and to drive drive the, the narrative. But but I think it works, as you were saying. Like, I think, I think it feels like a natural extension that we know he's into, like, voodoo and, and the, the dark arts, as it were. And having an amulet that necessitates a spell, I, I'll i buy that, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I bought it hook, line, and sinker, and it lead to a great climax in a cemetery. Right, 
You also have you also have Tiffany learning how to do the spell from I think it's Voodoo for Dummies. <laughs> yeah, that which, was great. Which is amazing. And there's and a million... knowing the page that it's on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's it, it things like that where you're like, okay, this this movie I get where I get you, Chucky. Like even the first three, which have their tongue in cheek moments. They're not like this is a full blown comedy and the 80% comedy, 20% horror. It's like the, the ratio completely flips. And it's, it's completely different because like I said before, like those movies, you watch them back and it's like, there's a moment where Andy's mom is fighting with a doll where it looks like she's literally holding the doll next to her yeah. as opposed to like fighting it off. So it's like they're inherently moment. They're just going to be funny because it's ridiculous. Like this little three foot doll is like taking these people down. No problem. But it was never like forced. It was never overwhelmingly tongue-in-cheek. It was never overwhelmingly sarcastic. And then comes Bride of Chucky and flips that on its head. Do you think that the core audience or even mainstream audiences would have gone along with the drastic shift in tone and and perspective had there not been a nice like seven-year gap in between three and four? That's hard to guess. I feel like People, if they, if it would have been the same, it would have done worse. Mm-hmm. I feel what got people in the door was seeing a different Chucky, having people talk about it and talk about it in a way that it was like, well, this is hilarious and this is completely different. I feel like you saw franchise fatigue start to happen with the second and then to a greater extent the third. There's only so much you can do when it's just a doll that's going after one person. Right. Uh, part of the whole reinvention to it really paid off because it was a risk that worked and it worked on the script level. It worked with the performers. It worked with the directors having their vision. And ultimately, audiences enjoyed it. It's something that did well long after on VHS and DVD releases and continues to be one of the fan favorites for that. I think that reason alone, it's such a different tone. It feels like a different movie. The fact that they have Tiffany in the movie literally be like, oh, Chucky stabbings are so 90s or, or so or so 80s or whatever. Ah, what the hell? I need the exercise. Were you born with that nice super glued onto your hand or what? What are you talking about? For God's sake, Chucky, drag yourself into the 90s. Stabbings went out with Bundy and Dahmer. You look like Martha Stewart with that thing. Who the fuck is Martha Stewart? My idol. And what does Martha tell you to do when guests drop by for dinner and you haven't had time to shop? You improvise. She's calling him out. We need to get our kills more creative. Otherwise, the grosses are going <laughs> to go down. It's literally like that, that level of, of discourse in the movie itself. And, and I love the fact that they bake that into it. And it, and it gives the, the movie gives itself free reign to just be like, let's just forget about what came before. This isn't this isn't your dad's child's play movie that we're going to. We're going to go, uh, we're going to take things in a completely different, different direction. Yeah. And I think they did that just by changing the title too. Like instead of going Child's Play 4, colon, Bride of Chucky, it was just Bride of Chucky. Right. It, it, it immediately distinguished itself from the other films and something that has carried on for the latter films. And I think that was smart. I think it brought the brand to focus on the villain as opposed to it just being called Child's Play and there were actual protagonists in that movie. Honestly, when most people go see horror movies, we're rooting for the bad guy. 
Yeah. As much as much as it's sad to say, we're rooting for these Chucky. We're rooting for Freddy Krueger. We're rooting for these people to have their way with these teenagers. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of that boils down to the fact that hey, the teenagers aren't written as well as the Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Yeah, they're stereotypes. Our our horror icons are are original icons. They're they're definitive in their own way, not interchangeable teenagers. To that point, I always forget when I watch this. I'm like, oh yeah, Catherine Heigl's in this movie. Like literally, because I get so caught up. They have like a solid cast. Yeah, Yeah, because I get so caught up in in Brad Dourif and, and Jennifer Tilly that I, I completely forget about all the other the other people that are, oh yeah, they're there. They're the obstacles for Chucky and Tiffany to, to accomplish their goal. And as to your point, as much as Robert Englund is Freddy Krueger, Brad Dourif is Chucky. It's they, they tried with the remake with Mark Hamill, which is, it's fine and it's his own thing, whatever, but it's not, it's not, it's not the, the, the franchise, yeah. It's not the same. I feel like when you're talking about something that becomes so iconic and you've had it's different with like a mass killer. Like I feel like Jason and Michael Myers have gone through so many different people who wear those masks. Right. When you have someone out there and it's a personality, even to like lesser extent, like when Hellraiser, which is now direct to DVD because they're so good, decided to switch gears. You don't have, God, what was the, I don't know why I got on this tangent, but he's not part of the films anymore. So you can feel the absence of yeah. these people because they become so ingrained with the character. Their voice, their mannerisms are just the character that's just what you associate with them it's like you can you don mancini must have had like some inkling that all right this character is in the zeitgeist he's already a horror icon but he needs one more little nudge <laughs> to put him in that in that status because we, like all, all we've been saying is how different this movie is than the previous three but at the same time it's also very classical in a way it, yeah. it falls in line with the slasher movies of the time being very self-aware. It references all these 70s and 80s horror icons that came up in the years before Chucky's introduction and references Bride of Frankenstein and the old Universal Monster movies in the same way. So it's it's it, it contributes a lot weirdly to the canon of not only the franchise, but like the genre in general. Yeah, I definitely agree. A lot of it is, I, I just... When I look at this film and I look at his previous three entries, a lot of it is rooted in just a love of horror. Because even in the previous three entries, there are little nods you can pick up here and there. It's more obvious in Bride of Chucky. And I just think that that's really smart. It really just allows the casual viewer to pick it up and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's with these people. Like, if you see that in the beginning, you see Mike Myers' uh, mask or Jason's mask and Leatherface's chainsaw. Sorry, I got tongue-tied there. Freddy's glove, like, you, you, you're going to associate that. And it's, it's a really smart way of reminding audiences and letting them know that he's on that pathion with them. Yeah. It reminds me of, like, when, you're, when you'd watch a... Uh or any Batman story and they go through Arkham Asylum and you'd see like, Oh, there's the Riddler. There's two face, there's Catwoman, there's the Joker, whatever. It felt like that. It's very much like, Hey, this is this, these are the, these are the boys. Yeah. And Chucky's one of the boys, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's amazing how, like, honestly, before this movie came out, God, I remember I was like 14 years old. I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it via a black box, a legal black box. Don't tell anybody. And I honestly never thought there, there would be another child's play movie because I thought, hey, three's done. He looks like he's gone for good. 
And then there was this whole space in between. Uh, so for them to come back and they needed to come back strong and they did that. They really went after what they wanted to accomplish. They wanted to make it contemporary at the same time, still fit into what people who know the franchise love. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they do that with a lot of, a lot of self-aware jokes, some more creative kills, the mirror death you already mentioned that inspires not only the marriage proposal, but uh, some puppet sex, which is funny because he's, <laughs> oh my God, yeah. look at me, I'm all rubber or whatever. I thought you were plastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which again, is great. I feel like there's even some, and tell me if you think I'm reading too much into this. I feel like there's even a little bit of like commentary on like modern romance and like how the level of trust and like, and the equitable, like the equity between partners and all that, like th- this movie actually gets into that a little bit in dealing with not only Jesse and Jade's relationship, yeah. but, but Tiffany, Tiffany and Chucky and how it, how it's, those are like the mirroring of each other. Well, yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I feel like, it's set up even before it gets to the, the climax where Tiffany's talks about like the things her mom told her and like yeah. these quotes that end up coming back. And the third act of the film is really just sparked by a quote about Chucky not cleaning dishes. Right. You know, if I had known that marriage was such a great gig, I would have never have waited this long to tie a knot. On the other hand, she's not much of a housekeeper, is she? Tiff, hmm? those uh, dishes aren't going to wash themselves, you know. You were nice enough to cook for him. The least he could do is wash the dish. <sighs> uh. What are you doing? Ah! What would Martha Stewart say? Fuck Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart can kiss my shiny plastic butt. Here I am slaving away over a hot stove, making cookies, making Swedish meatballs, and for what? For a man who doesn't appreciate me. For a man who can't even wash one fucking dish. For a man who isn't even a man at all where it counts if you get my drift. Take it from me, honey. Plastic is no substitute for a nice hunk of wood. I I feel like that is really something that horror in general is not given credit for. A lot of horror films tend to have some social context and commentary, granted within the the world of like a slasher or a haunted house or whatever the case is. But it does make a commentary on that. And it makes a commentary about how a relationship should work. And in this case, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, One thing I want to make sure we get to looking at the road ahead, Mm -hmm. not only for this franchise, but just generally, what what do you think that the Child's Play Chucky franchise contributes to not only cinema, but the genre? Like, what is the legacy of of these these movies, the Chucky movies? Oh, that's a tough one. I I feel like Chucky's legacy, uh, it's always twofold. It's going to be, he fit in a niche that at that time, there wasn't a horror film, a, like a big franchise, that where your doll was your main villain. Your doll was going to kill you. It really was something different in the late 80s. And at the same time, a lot of its design came directly from my buddy and Kit sister. So it was, it was grounded in an actual doll that existed. Granted, the name changed for the film. Right. In terms of what the franchise does, I... 
I feel like Chucky just gives the it gives the right for horror franchises to be fun. I think they took a lot of risk that some horror franchises don't do. And that's something that they further explored in like Seed of Chucky when they ramped up the humor. Something that they've explored in Curse and Cult where they go back to the basics. They have a different protagonist for those movies. But it really goes back to the essence of what Chucky, while at the same time updating the character. That's why I think the biggest legacy is. It's just, it wasn't afraid to take risk. Because this could have been a massive failure for the franchise. And it could have really alienated the fan base if it wasn't done right. And the fact that they continue and continue evolving the character is something that's special in the franchise. So many established franchises, they stay with one MO, one uh, situation. Granted, Friday 13th had that variant where he fights the chick with psychic powers. But for the most part, it's that one has that one note of sex die haunting in a camp counselor. Yeah, and, and I think this movie establishes this franchise as a whole, but definitely this one, which being the turning point of this franchise, proves that you don't have to stay to that formula. That's part of why I picked this as, as the first like horror franchise that I'm covering in depth on any on any real podcast generally, is just because it there none of these movies are are really samey. It's they're they're all very different and very distinct. And the arc for for the seven of them is not only a, a wild ro- wild roller coaster ride as opposed to Halloween or Nightmare on Elm, even Nightmare on Elm Street, which would probably be one of the another one of the next ones I would get, or the Halloween or Friday Thirteenth. Like they all feel like okay, this person with a knife or a chainsaw or a gloved hand or whatever. This is just it continually changes and evolves, and I think it gave horror filmmakers the permission to do that and not only that it started in 1988 we're talking in 2021 there's a tv show getting ready to continue this which is wild i i just honestly feel like since they had one person at the helm they were able to keep a consistency in tone they followed through it does go through shifts in each of the films but one thing that remains the same is the main characters and how they're portrayed, the situations they're in. It never feels unbelievable for Chucky to be in a certain situation. He's not in space. He's not going to the hood. Like it, none of the situations that they put him in ever feel out of place for the viewer. Yeah, and they are able to comment on their own on their own franchise without without deflating it. Some movies or shows can do that where they're like, oh, we can do something terrible and, and like really out of character. But as long as we poke fun at how it's re- terrible and really out of character, then people will let it slide, right? And like, yep. you can't, you have to, there's a limit to that. But yeah. having, having Chucky in here talk about his story and how if it was a movie, it would take three or four sequels, sequels. to do it justice. Come on. Not only is, is that so awesome to have him actually say that, but then even at the end, go ahead and shoot. I'll be back. I always come back. Yay. But dying is such a bitch. We get the seed of Chucky e. T's that would be the fourth exactly. sequel that he already alluded to. So so I love the way that they they all tie in together. I, I basically already know the answer to this, but do you think this movie delivers on its predecessor? Like, is this is this franchise like is this a smooth ride through the next installment of the franchise, or does it take a wrong turn? 
No, I feel like this is the smoothest ride in the franchise. I put this up there with the original. I think when you think of Child's Play, I love the first movie, second and third. Not my favorite, but I enjoy it. And then you come to Bride of Chucky, and I'm like, I, I can watch that anytime, and it's still enjoyable. It's still fun. It it honestly feels and flows so well that before you're at the final act. Like it never, like it gets sluggish and never gets weighed down by any like retcons or anything. Everything that's added is just smoothly put in and it just allows you to enjoy the film. It's a brisk, I think 90 minutes or 89 Mm -hmm. minutes. Like it's like really tight. Like there's no fat on this thing either. That's the thing. I I got the box set like last year and I watched them all little by little uh, in order. And then for these, for this episode or for these podcasts, I've been rewatching them and, and it's just like, just like flies by. You're like, man, this thing, like, this is now, I think at least third, if not my third or fourth time watching Bride of Chucky. And I'm like, I'm going to watch this thing again in a few months. I think I can feel it (laughs) because it's just, it's so, it's so fun. It's that pure escapism. Uh, it's so quick. It doesn't feel like a lot of times by the time you hit a fourth or fifth movie in a franchise, they're either redefining the rules yep. or it's just extra mythos that you didn't necessarily know you needed or it's at a prequel stage. I feel like this touches on all that. It it does what a prequel would do where it gives you backstory, gives you this relationship with Tiffany, just briskly just expands Chucky's character. And at the same time, it does introduce new things, but without feeling weighed down. It's never a point where I'm just like, oh, this movie just got boring for five minutes. No, it just continues at this frantic pace to the end. And it's enjoyable. It's exactly what you want from a killer doll movie to be. It's, it's <laughs> Put that funny. on the poster. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's funny. It's, it's graphic. And it's just a thrill ride. Like, as generic as that sounds, it, it really is a roller coaster ride of a movie. It's quick and it's to the point and it has its ups and it has its downs and it never disappoints. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I have a similar theory with film franchises, how they once they get once they get past that trilogy point, because the the trilogy is a clear three act structure, introduction, mm-hmm. middle section, keep things going, build it up the tension, third one, wrap it up. Once you get to the fourth one, like you're saying, I, that's something that I've noticed too. You get the fourth Evil Dead as a remake, the fourth Star Wars as a prequel, the fourth, like it's always a reboot or a reimagining or a remake or a drastic shift in genre and tone, which is what this is. And I, and I think it, it does elevate this franchise as you alluded to already if if this was child's play four andy and chucky are at it again i think this probably would have gone straight to video much sooner than than it did with cult of chucky and it definitely or curse of chucky and then it and it definitely wouldn't have sustained that same fan base over the decades as it has now i have my 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 opinion on horror films has been if you're gonna give the audience something and you're gonna make them energize to see this film you really have to deliver and give them check all the boxes it has to be something they haven't seen they're not going to expect if you would have come with the same plot line person would have sat in the audience they would have been like i've seen this before okay that's a cool death and then that's it but because they threw a curveball because they took these risks because they uh made chucky reference pop culture and be funny and gave him an accomplice who had a human arc to her story 
it wasn't anything someone was expecting that would have gone in from Child's Play 3. It, it feels like a brand new franchise in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it works because there are movies where plot lines just becomes like when you're talking about nightmare, you look at nightmare five where all of a sudden she's pregnant and Freddie's getting in using the baby's dreams. By the time you get to that point, it's so convoluted and you're going to lose people. I think they came in with a concise bride of Chucky. It was exactly what it needed to be. It gave you backstory, but not too much. It gave you where the film was headed at the same time, between those two points, it gave you an enjoyable ride. Yeah, definitely. So, Pablo, if you were going to rank this franchise, where would you, seven to one or one to seven, however you want to do it, what would be your ranking for the Child's Play slash Chucky franchise? So, definitely, I would go in first place, it's going to be the first Child's Play. Mm. A lo- it's just a classic. It's something that's nostalgic. Follow that up with uh, Bride of Chucky. Uh, and then after that, I would probably go... Maybe Child's Play 2, then Curse of Chucky, Cult of Chucky, Child's Play 3, and then Seed of Chucky. What did you have? I'm not sure, honestly. I think by the end of this podcast series, I'm going to have to commit to something one way or another. But I I do think that all seven of them are entertaining in different ways. Like, I don't... It's Seed of Chucky, obviously, is by far the most divisive. I feel like the the consensus is that one and Bride, I feel like are generally the best. People have their issues with three, two is underrated and Curse and Cult are, I think, gaining esteem as the years go by. But Seed, people are like, oh, it's so interesting and and wild and crazy. And and other people are like, yeah, no, they lost me there. So it's interesting. And the humor, I think it's a little, I think the humor takes away from it. And I also have... Like the script, I feel like that's a film that if you look at it now or if someone picks it up now with the gender identity issues, mm-hmm. I feel like it's more problematic than the other films. Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like Bride of Chucky timeless. It's not really going to offend anybody. I feel if you pick it up, you'll enjoy it. I feel like with Seed of Chucky, if you're maybe a little bit of a snowflake, it might offend you in the way it talks about gender. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair point. I think Cedar Cedar Chucky has some air quotes interesting yeah. things to say. I don't. I don't it had know. some great moments though, like the John Waters in it or the Britney lookalike. Yes, like it had. It does have some redeeming moments. Like definitely, even though it's ranked lowest, doesn't make it the worst. Like it's a terrible film. Right. I still get some enjoyment from watching it. I do think they jumped the gun a little bit with the humor because I. It's that whole turning point where the character stops being scary. Right. I feel like, because that one is another long wait. Like that was six years after Bride of Mm -hmm. Chucky, which is almost as long as the seven years before Bride of Chucky. So I wonder if in those intervening years, if they were like, all right, well, we got to go more like with the scary movie route, like the scary movie comedy series of movies, not like the actual scary movie. Which makes sense because those were incredibly popular during that time. And Bride of Chucky reflects the popularity of the well-aware meta films of that time. Right, right. No, it makes sense. I I do love, though, and then, and then we'll start wrapping up. I do love that they find the most ludicrous reason to actually have Jennifer Tilly back in human form <laughs> as Jennifer Tilly. And then... Wanting as, to play, as, well, didn't you want to play Mary? 
Yes. Yeah. She wants oh to be my a, God. yeah the, the Virgin Mary. She wants to be in Red Man's movie about the Virgin Mary. I don't think anyone um, would take Jennifer Tilly as the Virgin. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> uh, and she's so and she's so awesome too. I'm following her now on Twitter in the lead up to recording these episodes and mm-hmm. and like literally an hour before before we started recording, she was tweeting like a, a little glimpse of behind the scenes footage from Bride of Chucky. I was like, that's oh my weird. God. That's so crazy. Jennifer Tilly reached out head. to her. Yeah, I know. She'd be like, I hey, know. Jennifer Tilly, hey, you want to give us a little bonus commentary here? Yeah, right? Right? Uh, she just <laughs> seems like such a cool person. So I, I love that in Cedar Chucky, they they find a way to get Jennifer Tilly in it, playing herself, and then, spoilers on the next episode of this podcast, end it with Tiffany in the body of Jennifer Tilly because they just look <laughs> the same. So that's great. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Paul. Oh, no, this thanks is- for having me. I, I've listened to your podcast. I've waited for an opportunity where something you needed someone and you posted and I was just like, I, I know my Chucky, I'll do this. <laughs> Absolutely. And if there's any other franchises or anything else you want to talk about down the line, let me know, shoot me a, a, oh, a DM and let me know. And we'll, we'll definitely do this again. Yeah. sounds great. It's been a pleasure. I hope everyone listening is enjoying and keeps subscribing and listening to your further podcast because I, you have your wealth of information and I, this has been nothing but a pleasurable hour of just talking about, honestly, probably a B-list horror film, but something that's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> yeah, but it's an A-plus entry in a B-list horror, you know, horror series, so like, we'll give it that. <laughs> Thanks, Pablo. No worries, man. Big thanks to Pablo Saldana for coming on to discuss Bride of Chucky. This movie has become by far the most popular of the Child's Play Chucky sequels and easily one of the most integral to the entire franchise with the addition of Tiffany and and brings Don Mancini in more into that comedic zone that maybe he goes too far in in Seed of Chucky. We'll talk about that next episode. But I want to know, what are your thoughts on Bride of Chucky? Is this the apex of uh, Charles Lee Ray's cinematic exploits Or is this sort of when you started to lose a little bit of interest? I could see people going both ways with it because it does take such a drastic detour away from how this franchise started. So let me know on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. We'll be back next episode with Seed of Chucky, the companion piece, the the, uh, family film of the franchise, if you will. But for now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the low KED.